Good morning, church. As mentioned, my name is Matt Flanagan, and I serve as your children and student ministry consultant with the Kentucky Baptist Convention. What that means, it's my opportunity and joy to come alongside 2,400 churches to help in their ministry to reach and disciple young people and their families. And I counted an incredible joy at Pastor Tom's invitation to come and stand and uh, preach the word to you this morning. I've had opportunity to be at your church probably a half dozen times over the past four or five years, and uh, so quite a few familiar faces out there that I've grown to appreciate and respect, but also I'm so excited every time I come here, seems like the Lord is doing something new uh, as your facilities continue to develop and reaching new folks, and so so thankful for uh, the legacy of faithfulness that this church is for this community and this county and this area. And also, as you heard earlier about your Eliza Baratis missions offerings, uh, as a student ministry person in Kentucky, I also want to remind you that that offering also goes to equip hundreds of young people uh, to be gospel sharers in their communities through an event called the Youth Evangelism Summit in February. In fact, your cooperative program giving uh, not only places uh, over 3,500 missionaries all across the globe, church planners all up and down North America, disaster relief, summer camp, theological education, homes for children, and so much more. And so on behalf of our team, we want to say our appreciation for your faithful giving to the cooperative program for so many years. It's my heart this morning to preach to you uh, the text in Mark chapter 10. But Pastor Tom asked, because of my position and the work that I do in ministry, to come and speak to you specifically on uh, ministering to uh, children and students. And I want to take a few moments to talk about the world in which they live in. And we will transition from there into Mark chapter 10. But as we do, I want you to recognize and kind of realize this, that the world that your young people, your teenagers, your young kids are living in is not the same one that we grew up in. And nor is their world re returning back to the one that we grew up in, though we might wish that it would. Imagine this for a moment. The Lord calls upon your life to, to let go of everything you have here and to move to some other place on the globe and to be a missionary. Well, certainly the same gospel message that is true yesterday, today, and forever would be what you're armed with and the message of hope that you're sharing. But one of the first essential things that you would do is learn the culture in which you live so that you might communicate the gospel effectively. Church, what I'd like to take a few minutes to do is talk to you about the culture that your young people are living in and some distinctives about who they are in their world. And we could take the whole morning to really speak about that, but I wanted to identify just a few things because I think they point to a cultural resistance to receiving the gospel. In other words, your young people, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, have some pushback in their world because of the way our world has become. And so I want to talk to you about what some of those things are. Let me give you a few of them. Uh, number one, we understand that this next generation uh, that's growing up, when we're talking about elementary age kids, uh, middle school and high school kids, college age young people, uh, very young professionals, um, this is a world that we call and classify as uh, Gen Z, and we talk about them being digital natives. In other words, they've grown up with screens in their hands. And by uh, screens, we talk about computers, we talk about game systems, we talk about phones and tablets, uh, we talk about uh, televisions, we talk about all these things. In fact, that the average eight-year-old is spending as much as six hours a day 
uh, in front of a screen, being influenced by what has taken place on that screen. As we move up into the upper high school ages, that number can approach 10 to 12 hours per day that they are spending in front of a screen. And its impact has significant uh, meaning on their formation and the character building that has taken place in their life. Uh, in fact, we see the social media world really introduced that for most of our young people. And here are these numbers. By the age of 10, that a quarter of all of our 10-year-olds have their first smartphone. By the age of 12, it's 75%. So I have two uh, boys. They're not really boys anymore. They're 22 and 19-year-old. Uh, but sometimes I still think of them as my boys that way. But when they went to middle school, and they came home and said, Dad, everybody else has a cell phone. They weren't far off from truth. And I did get to be a good dad and say, well, you get to be that special part of the population that won't be in that uh, vast majority right now. They didn't receive it as well as I thought it came out. But that's another story. But we realize that this social media world is pushing them into a place of influence that we did not recognize uh, previous generations. Uh, so, for example, you may remember when personal computers were coming into the home and we connected them to these wires called the internet and it made this funny sound as we were dialing up these things. And in church, we would talk to our church members about the importance of those computer screens being in public spaces. In other words, don't put those in the bedrooms, put them in the family rooms where there's accountability and transparency about what's taking place. Fast forward to the 20 teens. We get our kids smartphones, they put them in their pockets, and they go into the rooms and close their doors. And they're navigating highways they're not equipped to handle. Again, my two young men, when they were little, I didn't let them go down the driveway and play out in the street. But there came a point where they got in a car and drove away out into the street, but not until there was an age appropriateness and readiness to handle those responsibilities. We recognize and see that the digital native nat nature of these young people have had influences upon their life that we have to understand. A couple other things quickly about who they are. They're global citizens. I grew up not too far from here. I grew up in Taylor County. Uh, Camelsville is my hometown and uh, grew up on a farm out in that area. And largely everyone who was important and influential in my life lived in that community. Uh, there was a very much a community nature about influences in my world. Uh, our young people are not like that now. They're quickly connected with people who are connected with other people who stretch across our country, who stretch across our globe. Uh, that their influences are magnified uh, through cult different cultures and different regions of the world. And some things about that are very exciting. Some things about that are very frightening. Uh, you may remember a couple of months ago in the afternoon in New York City that afternoon rush hour came to a, a halt because of a social media influencer convinced literally thousands of young people to come and block the streets in downtown. And what we see is this incredible uh, narrative of a diversity of thought, a diversity of truth, a diversity of identity being portrayed through these social media global citizenship uh, platforms. Our kids are hearing lots of messages. Uh, also know this, they have a very open heart. Um, they greatly desire to be accepted and to feel and understand acceptance. Uh, and you may be kind of pushing back and say, well, listen, do they really want to communicate? Because if you ever had a conversation with my 14-year-old, right? And let's not confuse sometimes their struggle to have traditional conversations in the way that we have uh, with their lack of desire to be accepted and known. 
uh, Lifeway Christian Resources did this research project uh, 2019 that tracked the number of high school young people that stepped away from active church participation after high school. And they found this sobering number that two-thirds of our churched high school students are no longer active in church during their young adult years. But church, hear this. One of the primary factors of those young people who stayed were the number of adult influencers in their life. So adults, hear this. We need to invest in our young people. We need to know them. We need to accept the person that God has created. Maybe not all the behaviors that they're struggling with, but learn to accept and love them as well. Uh, two more things real quickly. Number four, they're rejecting traditional values. Some would say that this is the first generation in the history of our country to not identify their family as their top priority. They are searching for a cause, and they're looking for something beyond themselves to be a part of. Uh, in the last five years, we've seen oftentimes many things be protested in our country. And the average age of those protests is oftentimes very much uh, high school, college age young people. And Sometimes if, if you watch, you'll see an interview take place with someone in there. It'll be a very young person, and they'll have a very, they really have a rough time articulating what the protest is about. Well, what it is, they don't necessarily understand. They're just looking for something to do. They're looking for some way to be part of something greater than themselves. Church and the eye not remind you we're part of the mission of God, right? We've been given the greatest cause in the history of our planet. Let's connect our young people to that. Um, and finally, we recognize uh, this is an anxious generation. Uh, the anxiety, the, the, the mental struggles of our young people is real and it's prevalent. We, we realize that death is not new, disaster is not new, destruction isn't new, but their exposure to it at a very young age is. And this exposure has had a profound impact upon their development. And again, we could talk about many other things about who they are, but the reason I want to identify these five things is because I think they help us understand what I mentioned earlier, that there is a cultural pushback or resistance to their gospel receptivity. In other words, for them to trust, believe in Christ for salvation, and to walk with the Lord, they're going to have some pushback in their world. And I believe it's these three things. Number one, there is a rejection to absolute truth. When our young people say that they believe in this book, the Bible, that it is the inherent, infallible, uh, reliable word, truthful word of God, that it is truth, their culture is going to say that's not right. Their culture is going to say that something can be true for one person and not for another. There's an objection to this idea that something is absolute in its nature and truth. When our kids come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, they're also going to encounter a suspicion towards authority and a suspicion towards, uh, we might even say, historical organizations. For those of you that are in education, perhaps you're a teacher, perhaps you're a coach of uh, youth league sports, uh, in our generations, those were people we automatically admired, trusted, and respected. Uh, our kids today, there's this kind of this wall of suspicion sometimes that go in front of leaders in their world perhaps because of things they've heard, but perhaps because of just a cultural push to resist respect and trust. We also see there is a, a, a reluctance to be a part of historical organizations that in the view of a lost world would seem to want to bring people towards conformity of thought. And so there is a reluctance there. And a final thing, there is a resistance to exclusivity. In other words, when Jesus says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Church, the gospel is exclusive. 
right? And that goes against what culture says is appropriate. There's a tenet in the Hindu faith that says that different world religions are like multiple paths that lead up the same mountain and get to the same point. That's a message that resonates with our young culture. The exclusivity of the gospel does not. So church, God is still saving. God is still doing a great work among our young people. But understand and know this as you minister and care and love them, that their world is not patting them on the back when they follow Jesus. Their world is not saying how great they're doing when they're being obedient to their faith. Their world is pushing back against them for these awkward set of beliefs. So we must know there's an incredible essential priority of working with our young people. And I would also add this, there's a great urgency as well. If we were to ask just in a survey in this room, um, those of you that are adult believers in Jesus Christ, what was the age when you received salvation from God? Uh, this room is like most rooms across our country. We would see that two-thirds of you uh, received salvation before your 18th birthday, that three-fourths of you did that before your 21st birthday. So reaching our next generation is fertile ground. Uh, the fields are white uh, with harvest. Uh, but we also recognize this urgency that a young person that reaches their 21st birthday, certainly God continues to save, but we could say this statistically, that they become an adult who is unlikely to respond to the gospel in their lifetime. And so we recognize and see there's an incredible urgency uh, to our churches reaching young people. So hear this message of great importance. And so what I want to do this morning is really focus our attention to Mark chapter 10. And what Jesus does here is that he demonstrates for the church, both in his words and in his actions, the priority that the church should have upon ministering to children. And the church needs to model what it does after Christ's example. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to be uh, looking specifically at verses 13 through 16 uh, here in Mark chapter 10. Mark is what we refer to as one of the three synoptic gospels. The word synoptic means synopsis, tells the story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are those three synoptic gospels. We believe Mark to be the oldest of those. In fact, all but 31 verses of Mark are contained in Matthew and Luke. And our text this morning is also contained in Matthew 19 and Luke chapter 18. We see that John Mark, uh, one of the traveling companions of the Apostle Paul, uh, is the author who did research and understood the revelation of Christ and recorded these things. And in chapter 10, we see a significant paradox in our text. In other words, this idea that adults shall be as children. Well, growing up in central Kentucky, I always thought a paradox were two wood structures on the lake right next to each other. A pair of docks, right? But in Mark chapter 10, we see a different kinds of paradoxes, right? The two shall be one. The first shall be last. Servants shall be rulers, beginning in verse 32. Beginning in verse 46, the poor shall be rich. So in our text in 13 through 16... Uh, Christ is saying that adults shall be as children. So let's look together. I'll be reading from uh, the CSB this morning, beginning in verse 13. It says this, People were bringing little children in order that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter in it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. 
Uh, let's understand what's taking place here. That Jesus' fame and popularity as a healer and teacher was on the rise. This is following the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water and numerous other public miracles where Jesus' name was quite well known. And we see this dynamic of parents bringing their kids to Jesus. And we might ask why. Well, it's a good question. The scriptures answers it for us in order that he might touch them, which might not resonate and make sense with us as well. But there's a book called the Talmud, which is the central text of Jewish law that instructed parents to bring their children to respected rabbis for their blessings. And so though these families may not have understood the true identity of Christ at this time, they understood him to be a rabbi of great importance and desired that their kids be, receive these blessings. And so what happens in verse 13? The disciples step in, and the disciples rebuke. Whom do they rebuke? They rebuke the kids and the parents for coming to Jesus. And it would be easy for us to jump on the disciples, say they're missing it again, uh, but maybe there's some reasons they would understand this. Maybe uh, some things that we could see is uh, they, were, they recognized that Jesus was on a journey. If you've got your Bibles open, uh, look at a couple of verses in chapter 10. Look at verse 1. It says, He set out from there, and he went on to the region of Judea. Uh, skim down to verse 17. It says, As he was setting on a journey. Skip down to verse 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem. In other words, there was this sense of itinerary and travel that the disciples were trying to maintain for Jesus. Now, some of us in this room, probably when we travel, we know when we're stopping and we know when we're not stopping, right? We have in our mind an itinerary of what we're trying to accomplish. Perhaps the dis disciples were trying to help Jesus stay on that path. Uh, perhaps their understanding would be that the children were a bit of a delay in what was taking place as well. Uh, the, the, the tense here is an imperfect tense that parents were bringing. In other words, it indicates it was an ongoing action. It wasn't as though Jesus and the disciples came to a certain point, met some families for a picture moment, and then they kept going. But families continued to come and stop them on their journey. Uh, the disciples saw this as a great delay. Uh, perhaps the disciples were thinking, Jesus, there's more important people for you to invest your time. You know this from the New Testament, right? That Jesus was criticized for the company that he kept. That he spent time with tax collectors, with sinners, with children. That socially he could improve his standing by connecting with more essential people in the culture. Uh, at that time in our world, children were seen as incredibly wonderful gifts, treasured and valued. But here at this church, families didn't rearrange their schedules to follow their children. That wasn't how those things were done. Let's not take time to unpack that, but let's let that resonate on us. Um, and perhaps they were simply just protecting Jesus. They understood him to have fatigue and time uh, limits on everything that he was doing, and perhaps they were just trying to care for him. But they rebuked the parents, and they rebuked the children. And so what we're seeing here is that in verses 14, 15, and 16, is that Jesus demonstrated through both his words and his uh, actions, his love and priority for children. So let's see what those things are. First in verse 14, we see this, that children need the church to be a place of unhindered access and unhindered approach. So look specifically at the response of Jesus uh, in verse 14. First of all, we see that he says he saw it. What did he see? He was referring to here the disciples' rebuke of parents and children. And the scripture says that he became indignant. The word indignant means to be both angered 
and annoyed. We would say that Jesus was angered, right? That he was angered at his disciples creating obstacles for little kids to be a part of what he was doing. We would say we never do that in our churches today. Perhaps we don't. But perhaps when we exclude children from being a part of the mission of what we're doing in our church because they're too young, we're excluding them from the mission of God. Perhaps in our small rooms when our kids have questions that are filled with doubt, that are filled with uh, un- unbelief, of uncertainty, and we dismiss those for the interest of time and our teaching points, we're excluding them from what God is doing in their life. Uh, certainly there are ways that we hold children at bay on the mission and this angered Jesus. And Jesus was also annoyed. He was annoyed at his disciples for not understanding the inclusion of kids into the work that he was doing. If you still have your Bibles open, flip back one page to Mark chapter 9, uh, verse 36. The disciples were having this argument about who is the greatest, right? And here's how Jesus answered their question. He took a child, had him stand among them, this is verse 36, and took him in his arms and said to them, Whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. Jesus was annoyed at the disciples' lack of understanding of what was important. Church, let me give you uh, maybe three really quick reminders of how we become a place of unhindered approach for children. Number one, the church's ministry to children must stretch beyond these walls. We have to care for kids in their homes. We have to care for kids in the schools. We have to care for kids in the community. Let me ask you this question. Do we require that parents first bring kids to this physical building in order for us to care for them? Hopefully not. Number two, the church must be equipped with the gospel. In other words, we need our church people to know the message of Jesus Christ, the hope of salvation found in him, and be sharers of that in our community. The question would be, do we require children to tend to service to hear the gospel? Hopefully, that's not a requirement because they're hearing it from the lips of the members of the church. They're hearing this message that uh, God created all the world and everything that is in it. And the highlight of his creation was creating people. But God loved us so much, he gave us this free choice. And in this choice, we began to choose things for ourselves. In our rebellion and rejection of God's holy standard, sin entered the world and separated us from God. And we were helpless and hopeless to do anything about it. But because of God's incredible love for us, he would send Jesus to live a perfect life and take the place of our punishment that was due us. And his death on the cross became the the substitution for our sin. And we no longer receive that punishment when we believe and repent of our sin. And instead, we're given a new nature, a new nature of righteousness that belonged to Jesus that's given to us. And when we believe and call upon him, we will be saved. That is the message of the gospel, church. That is the message that we need to communicate with families in our community. We don't expect them to first come and hear that message here. We take that message to them. And a third encouragement is that churches must warmly love, welcome, and receive kids. Other churches in our state, not this church, uh, I hear things like this. Sometimes people are more concerned over the carpet stains than the little kids who made the stains, right? Um, Sometimes churches are more concerned over noisy uh, chairs in the worship center than the little feet that fill them. Uh, Sometimes we're offended by the clothing of young teens who did not have the blessing of growing up with a church heritage. Uh, Church, when we are offended by these things, 
our hearts need a check. And we're missing what God has called us to do. The church needs to be a place of unhindered approach for kids. In verse 15, we see also that the church, uh, that children give the church an exclusive example of kingdom access. Uh, the, the, the church is given this example by kids. Uh, both in verse 14 and 15, we see this expression called the kingdom of God. It's commonly used in these synoptic gospels that refers both to the current and future spheres of God's reign. That God is reigning now though some may not see it. God is reigning in heaven. God is reigning in the hearts of believers. God is reigning in the gathering of the church. But there will be a day that God is reigning everywhere. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess uh, that Jesus is Lord. But until that day, it's in these uh, places of our hearts and the gathering of the church. And so it helps us, perhaps, if you're looking at verse 14, to use similar expressions as we might paraphrase these verses. Think about the words eternal life for kingdom of God. If you look at verse 14, it says, because eternal life belongs to such as these. Speaking of these kids, um, in verse 15, use the term salvation instead of kingdom of God. Whoever does not receive salvation like a little child. So perhaps these paraphrases help us gain insight to what Scripture speaks about when it says the kingdom of God. And so what does it mean for kids to be an exclusive example for us? It means that adults must be childlike, not childish, but childlike in our faith. So how are kids our example? Uh, a couple of things quickly I would identify to you. Uh, kids are quick to trust. Now those of you that are parents, perhaps you've taught your kids to swim by one of two methods. You taught the throwing in method, right? Or perhaps you got in the water and you had the jump in method, right? Where they jumped into you. For the latter crowd, right? Why in the world would a child jump into a water when they can't swim? It's because they trust in you. And they trust that you will care for them and provide them. This is the same way we come to Christ. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. A child is quick to trust. We see, secondly, a child is fully dependent. When a child gets a hurt, when it gets a scrape, when he gets a cut, uh, he doesn't go on WebMD for a good solution. He doesn't look for local medical professionals to help. He calls for mom, he calls for dad uh, to provide help because he is dependent upon parents. Church, this is how we come to Christ. We're dependent on God's grace for our salvation. A child is eager to please, a third thing that we could see, um, oftentimes if you're a, a parent of younger kids, you hear this all the time. Hey, mom, watch this. Hey, dad, watch this. They want you to see what they're doing. Now, the reality when they become older adolescents and they're saying, hey, watch this, that's a precursor to something dangerous. We're not talking about that. Uh, we're talking about when they're little. And they want mom and dad's approving eye because they're eager to please. This is the way that children are an exclusive example of kingdom access for us. In fact, the scripture says we will never enter in it unless we come to God in the example of a child. We're not to be childish. We're to be childlike. This is what God has called us to do. Finally, verse 16. Children need the church to provide appropriate affection. So in addition to the words of Jesus... We also see that he took three actions towards Jesus. Look at these things in verse 16. First, you see that he took them in his arms. 
I have the, the mental image here of, of my grandfather as he was getting older uh, in my growing up years. Uh, he wasn't as physically active, and we would go to his house, and he would be sitting, and he would open his arms, and my brother and I would just kind of run towards and kind of jump on him, and uh, he would gr- kind of bear hug us in his arms. And it's this open embrace that Jesus was caring for them, that he, the kids had this access that he took them in his arms. We see also in verse 16 that it says he laid his hands on them. Now, church, quick reminder, this is laying the hands of affirmation, not the hands of correction. Right? Sometimes in, in our parenting work, we have to lay hands of correction. That's not what this is talking about. Jesus laid hands of affirmation, giving value, giving care, giving appropriate affection and love for them. Our kids need this today. They need to know that you, as their church, love them. That you're not judging every move that they make and the way that they grow up. They're not yet fully mature. They're not yet grown-ups like us. Love them and who they are. Uh, A word of caution as well as we think about appropriate affection for kids. Uh, We live in a world as well where we care for kids that are not our own differently than we do our own. And so remember that our care be appropriate for them. And finally, we see this uh, action that Jesus took, is that he blessed them. Uh, he, spoke this, he spoke the Father's blessing on them. How do we do this with kids today? We, we pray for them. Uh, we speak scripture over them. Uh, we encourage them in the things of the Lord. We're leading them towards spiritually good things. So again, in Mark chapter 10, this is what we see. Children need to be... The, the, church, the children need the church to be a place of unhindered um, approach. Children give the church an exclusive example of kingdom access, and children need the church to provide for them appropriate affection. So church, at this point, um, as we close, I want to begin to ask you these questions. How do you respond to what God has presented here in Mark chapter 10? Perhaps you're hearing of this message of an exclusive example of children, of an exclusive gospel, and you recognize that though you've attended church, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so perhaps this morning, we would encourage you to repent and believe and to receive Christ as your Savior. Uh, Perhaps others are here and you are hearing about the mission of the church and what God has called us to do, and you've been connected to this church through your attendance, but you've never joined this church in in, in covenant membership. And so perhaps today I would encourage you to to unite with this church family in the work that God is doing in this community. Uh, Perhaps you've heard me speak a lot about children and student ministry and their families, and you in your heart resolve that you recognize the church needs you, to give of your spiritual gifting, your time, your love, and your care to this ministry. Perhaps you need to express that publicly to someone today. Perhaps you need to resolve in your heart to be different in there as well. Or maybe simply just that there's a a family that's a neighbor or connected to you, and God has placed them on your heart, that you need to be a person that shares the gospel uh, in that home. And so however the Lord is leading you, I pray that you're faithful, you respond, and you're obedient uh, to all these things. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for the truth of Mark chapter 10 this morning. As we get to hear, uh, Father, uh, this example of what you set for us, Lord, to be um, childlike in our faith. Father, that we are to care for children with the same priority uh, that you gave them as well. And Father, I pray, Lord, for uh, this church. 
I thank you so much for them, for their faithfulness, for their ministry in this community. Father, for, for Pastor Tom, his leadership here. Lord, but I just pray, Father, that the words uh, of this message would resonate in hearts and minds today. Lord, that you would draw sinners to yourself for repentance and belief. Father, that you would cause an incredible work of others to unite with this church and membership. And that, Father, that this church would be a great example of great care and ministry to both kids and students. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the gift of your son. That Though we were once far and separated from you, because of the blood of Christ, we have been brought near. It's in that name we do pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Ekron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Ekron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.